seated. Uh, the kids are welcome to join Mr. Caleb and Miss Emily today back in the back to head to Open Kids. Um, if you don't know, if you came in a little late and don't know what's going on, then, uh, then your kids are welcome to, to join Caleb and Miss Emily. They're also welcome to stay here in this place as well. They can just grab a lanyard on the way out. Let's give them a round of applause as they head out. We're so glad you're here today. Um, so speaking of kids, uh, like so many kids, our, uh, our sweet baby Grace in my house learned some, uh, learned some sign language um, before she could speak. Uh, before she could uh, say words, she learned some sign language. Most of it involved the, the diner, dining, uh, the dining table, um, the dinner table. And uh, she learned things like, like more and please and all done. You may, if you're a parent, you may have taught your kid that. You may know that and use it in the, uh, in the uh, cafeterias at UNT or TWU uh, when you come by. But she learned those so well that she just started like making up her own. And so like this meant... Get those peas away from me. What are you thinking? Are you crazy? Um, and then for like, I tried to tell you I was done, she used the sign language of picking up her plate and just uh, ultimate frisbeeing it across the room, which really communicates very well when you think about it. So Lindsay and I, in the midst of like her finishing, are like trying to keep her from just flipping the whole table over and throwing the thing over. But, but she's one year, one year old, and so you expect that kind of thing for a one-year-old. But it makes it surprising when you encounter Jesus doing the very same thing. And you may have run across this story. It's a familiar story that involves Jesus flipping the tables in the temple. And I mean, I think we need to think about teaching our kids what would Jesus do is the way to go through life or else you're going to find them flipping some tables over along the way. So what is up with this story? There's a lot up with this story. The basic outline is that Jesus goes into the temple where people go to worship, and he found money changers exchanging Roman coins for the mandatory temple currency, like arcade tokens that you needed to work in the arcade, and, and found merchants who were selling temple-approved animals for sacrifices. And, and Jesus' problem, as we'll see in this, was not the money part or the tables part, which is good news for us here at Open who like to sit at the tables, uh, that Jesus is cool with that. But Jesus' issue is something deeper that's happening So the story appears in places like Mark chapter 11, and here's how it goes. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, a den of robbers. Because what was happening in this story was exploitation. Uh, you had to use the temple coins to, to give in the temple, and so there was a significant exchange fee. You had to get your animal approved by the priest, and if it failed, you had to buy one on site. And markup, some scholars say, was about 8,000% of the value of the animal. It was exploitation that often fell hardest on the poorest. Those were the ones that brought doves and pigeons into the temple, the poorest classes. And the den of robbers that Jesus saw were exploiting the poor. And it moved Jesus to action. It moved Jesus to act for justice. But that wasn't all that was happening here. And so John's gospel story of this makes it clear that these dealers and animal keepers had set up shop in the outer courts of the temple called the court of the Gentile, or the court of the nations. It was the place, it was the only place, where people from a foreign nation 
or from other races or ethnicities or other religions could come in Jerusalem and pray to God. It was the court of the nations. And it was there that the money changers and the marketplace, the fragrant animal pens, had been set up by those in charge, right in the middle of the one place where those who were on the outside were allowed to come and pray. It was a travesty. It was injustice. And it broke Jesus' heart. You can hear the pathos in his words. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And so he was moved by something that was just not right. And Jesus set about pulling down this unjust system and reminding us of the heart of it all, of the heart of God. Reminding those in the temple that God is the one who declares God's self to be defender of the weak, protector of the vulnerable, the God who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner, and giving him food and clothing. And so therefore, we are called to love the foreigner because we're all foreigners somewhere as well. And then God's house and the places where God's spirit is, is to be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And these folks were doing exactly the opposite in a way that really hurt people, and it just wasn't right. And so when we understand that background, it makes a little bit more sense than the fact that Jesus was just like done with sweet potatoes and wanted to flip the table over to let us know, right? Because we know that feeling. We know that feeling when we see things in our, in our world, in our nation, in our communities that just aren't right. They move us with this sense that this is not the way that things are supposed to be, not the way that the God of love, the God who's the defender of the vulnerable, the creator of all people, intended it. And maybe you're moved to action by, by pictures from the Syrian conflict or of, of refugee families fleeing across oceans. Maybe you've been stirred by mothers in Flint, Michigan, who bathe their kids in bottled water because of the lead that's in the pipes. Maybe your heart moves for the kid in your kid's class who struggles to read, and you know that if she had a parent who had the time to read to her, that things would be different from her in that class and maybe in her life. And it tugs at you because you know this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And if there were a table to turn over to start to make things right, you would do it. And we feel that way. Our hearts are stirred that way because you and I were created in the image of God. A God whose heart breaks for the hurting and longs to execute justice for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. And that feeling is woven into our being because it's the heart of God. So the closer we get to God, the more we connect to the true vine, to the life and the heart of God, our love and our concern for our neighbor, especially for our neighbor in need, grows as well. So Jesus himself said that the heart of this whole life with God is about, about two things. It hangs on two imperatives, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And on this hangs everything. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God. The, the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship are two parts of the same impetus. That as we connect our branch to the true vine, that our leaves open up to the world in love and that that's where growth and fruit begin to happen. Growing faith brings about growing concern for the well-being of others. And our practice of our faith is to be practiced in a way that makes the world a better place. But Jesus didn't invent this idea. 
Jesus invented a lot of things. Um, Jesus invented dress sandals, for instance. Um, if Jesus did it, then you can wear them to church anytime you want to. But he didn't invent this. This dual framework of, of God and neighbor appears throughout our faith story. In the Hebrew scriptures, um, what God calls humanity to is always twofold. It's, it's two parts of the same thing. Righteousness and justice. You see it in places like Amos 5.24, this, this passage that Martin Luther King quoted on the march on Washington, his I Have a Dream speech. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness and justice together. These two words appear often together in Hebrew scriptures. Uh, righteousness, sedequa, means being in right relationship with God. And mishpat, justice, is, it's not just about punishing the wrongdoer or the oppressor. But it's also about bringing life and wholeness and flourishing to all creation. Right relationship with the world, with our neighbor, and with all creation. Right relationship. And righteousness, our right relationship with God. And justice, our right relationship with our neighbor, our world, and all creation are two parts of the same thing. So John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, in whose stream we stand here in open, um, he said this simply. He said, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Righteousness and justice go together. So one more Hebrew word here that I want to drop, drop for us today, and then we'll put this all back together. When justice and righteousness flow, in that picture of this, it produces something beautiful. It produces this, this concept that undergirds our faith story. It produces shalom. Shalom. We think of that idea as like peace, and that's part of it, but it's so much more than that. Shalom, in the Hebrew use, means holistic flourishing. It's God's hope for all humanity that's woven through Scripture to flourish as we are, as we were built, to flourish socially spiritually, educationally, relationally, culturally, economically, in a way that is equitable and abundant and creative. Shalom, holistic for each one of us and for all of our human communities. And it's something that God calls us to seek by doing righteousness and justice in our world. In those acts of justice where we seek to flip the script in the places where flourishing has faded or it's unequal, this is the task that we're called to as God's kind of people in the places where we live. We're called, as Scripture says uh, in Jeremiah 29.7, we're called to seek the shalom of the city where we've been sent, of the places that we find ourselves. Seek the holistic flourishing. Pray to the Lord on behalf of the places where we are, for in the shalom of the city we will find our shalom. In seeking the holistic flourishing of our communities, we'll find our own holistic shalom flourishing as well. So one way to think about, about shalom and what it looks like is to think about a piece of fabric or maybe a tapestry with a thousand threads interwoven together, a thousand different relationships in society and family and communities, persons and God, all woven together, each thread touching thousands of other threads, and by their interconnectedness, strengthening the whole and being strengthened in itself, together making something beautiful and making something strong. And that fabric is a picture of shalom, this deep interconnectedness, holistically strengthening us and creating something beautiful in its togetherness. But in our world, we know that there are places where that fabric of shalom is torn or it's worn thin, 
there's some threads or some sections that are weaker than others and threads that have become disconnected. And so acts of justice are acts to repair those tears or to strengthen the vulnerable areas, to pull us back together and to restore the beauty as God intended. And acts of justice are acts to bring about shalom in our world. So we look at those tears and we know that that those are not the way that things should be, not the way that the artists intended. Maybe you look at the news and you see news about a terrible famine in Yemen, and I know that last night I had totally midnight snacked and had way more than enough. And in my interconnectedness, there's, there's grief in that. Or I look at the fact that my son Hudson is twice as likely as an African-American kid who grows up in our very same neighborhood to be middle class by middle age. And Hudson is exponentially more likely if you look at an African-American who grows up in a poverty situation. Just by the accident of birth, outcomes are different generally. And I see in that a tear in this interconnectedness, a tear in the fabric I see the broken threads of neighborhood and economics and education and race and family and on and on. And in that very same way that Jesus turned over the tables, I want to get rid of whatever it is that's ripping the fabric, and I want to find those things. But not just get rid of them, but also strengthen the fabric of flourishing. Doing justice is both removing the blade that rips and reweaving the fabric so it can flourish. And we're called to be about that work. Okay, time out. (laughs) Um, As I talk, anybody else feeling guilty here besides me? Um, I'm sorry, I'm a pastor. Like, making people feel guilty is kind of my jam. (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. We try really, really, really hard not to motivate by guilt here because guilt, as I've learned from my own experiences and sometimes in church, may stir me to action for a little while, but then it fades. Um, because something else comes along to feel guilty about, or I learn to compartmentalize my feelings or rationalize away the guilt, and pretty soon I'm back to my normal complacency. I just don't feel quite as good about it. (laughs) So we try really hard in open not to motivate in that way, because that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus called us to a bigger vision. Jesus motivated us by a call to love and by knowing that we are loved into that call. And that's why Jesus' invitation to us is about connecting with something that doesn't fade, connecting with the wide and deep and powerful love of God. So in this series that we're listening to called Vine, the invitation to Jesus is not get out there and grow harder and, you know, do better growing, but instead it's to abide, to connect deeply to God, to the God that loves us and all people, to connect to the way and the heart of God. And in that, We'll find the strength to love, and we'll find the strength to open our leaves to the world around us, to be open and to be a part of growing in fruitfulness. And when our heart begins to be shaped by the heart of the God in whom we abide, our heart grows like two sizes. We learn to love God. We learn to love God's vision of shalom. We learn to open in love to our neighbor, to our interconnectedness, that we find that we ourselves are loved and that we hear this loving call that we have a part to play in all of this, in this justice work of bringing about flourishing in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our families, 
in our workplaces, in our cafeterias, in the places we go, we're invited to be a part of doing justice and creating shalom with every act of courageous love. But how do we do that? Are we supposed to just like walk around church and look for tables with doves on them and flip those things over? Um, don't do that. If you see a table with doves, it's probably for a wedding, and that um, usually <laughs> makes for a bad day when your dove table gets flipped over. So instead, I want to I suggest four things that I think we can do as we begin to respond to this call to abide in God's love and to open ourselves up to do justice in the world. And then I want to tell you a story of someone here in our city who did that. So the, the first thing is this. Lament. Lament. To lament means to be brokenhearted, and I think this is where it starts. And so I want to encourage you today at church to lament. Let your heart break for the world. Let it break when you're reading or you're watching TV for Syria or for Yemen or for families hurt by our broken immigration system, for the homeless neighbor that you pass on the street, for the co-worker who sits down and talks to you about their marriage that's falling apart. Let your heart break because God's heart is breaking too. And as you grow in God so often, you will be more and more moved by this world. And you don't have to spiritualize it. You don't have to say, you know, I'm going to feel sad, but I know that there's going to be a bow at the end of the day. Just lament. We've got a whole book in the Hebrew Bible called Lamentations that's just chapter after chapter of people going, why, God? How long? Don't you see what's happening here? Something needs to change. And so I think God invites us to come with wide open, vulnerable, sometimes hurting hearts in response to our world. Because ours is a lamentation not from self-pity and not from guilt, but from love deep concern and interconnectedness, love for our neighbor and awareness that that interconnectedness leads me to hurt when others hurt. But that same interconnectedness that leads us to feel deeply, that same interconnectedness is the scaffolding on which the threads will be rewoven to bring shalom. And so, lament. Second is this, listen. When your heart is moved, listen. Listen all the time. It's always a good, good posture, but especially in this. Listen to those that are hurting. Listen to their stories. Listen to their experiences. Listen to their wisdom and their struggle and their hopes. If your heart is moved for the, the topic of immigration, take a friend out for coffee who knows more about it than you or maybe knows it by firsthand experience and listen. Read everything that you can uh, from reputable sources. If you need help, our United Methodist women here in this church have been compiling a reading list on just about every topic of justice, and we can help you find something. And as you read that, listen to what you find there. Listening to someone's story can turn our lamentation and our sadness into solidarity as we deeply connect with each other. So keep listening, and when you're ready, lend yourself. Lend yourself. Offer who you are, the position you are, you have, what you have, your opportunity, your voice, your ability to flip tables or your ability to wait tables, whatever it is that you have, lend yourself. Let your thread be interwoven in such a way as to strengthen the worn places around you. So when I say lend yourself, I think oftentimes it starts with this very simple question that we can ask God. How can I help? How can I, from where I am with what I have, help? And when you ask that, 
And when you come lamenting and listening and seeking to lend yourself in an appropriate way, I promise the God of creativity, the God who heart, whose heart desires to execute justice for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner, God will give you a creative answer to that. It may take a few weeks, but God's going to lay something on your heart, and then it's up to us to do it, to do justice. Like Megan read from us from Micah 6, 8, it's a simple invitation to do something. God says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? I'll just read about it. To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To let this be a part of our humble walk with God. The amazing thing that you find is when you ask God, what can I do to help? It's when God answers you, you'll realize something amazing about how God built you and shaped you and formed you and the experiences that lead you to this place is that you have so much to offer to your neighbor. When you find your thread being interwoven with others to strengthen them, you'll find that the strengthening is also for you, that you're stronger, you're more interconnected because you offered yourself to others. So lament, listen, lend yourself. And the final thing is love, which is what the final thing always is at Open, right? (laughs) But this isn't trite. This is the essential part of this story. Doing justice begins in love, and its end is love. It's loving community. And so that means that its character and the means by which we go about it must throughout be love because the means create the ends. And that means, think about the shalom that we're seeking and the character of it. Interconnectedness, supportive, loving, gracious, life-giving, reconciling. And do acts of justice with a heart that beats in that very same character. Let your acts be acts of interconnectedness, of support, of love, of grace, of life-giving, reconciling action. Let our actions reflect the things that we're seeking to create. And let it be from our abiding in God. Because we have so much work to do in this world, so much work that we're called to. The practice of justice will be the endeavor of our lifetimes. And so it's so incredibly important that we build and we weave in a way that will last, a way that will bring life, a way that will win. And love is the way that wins. So lament, listen, lend yourself and love. Do justice to begin to repair the beautiful tapestry that people of all nations, that all people might flourish. So when I think of someone that did that here in Denton, I think of a man named Fred Moore. Uh, You may have heard that name. He's an important part of Denton's past and present and future as well. Uh, His story begins, though, uh, in many ways in the tragedy of Quaker Town. Um, In Denton, in the early 1900s, there was a thriving African-American um, community here called Quakertown, with beautiful homes and businesses, with a thriving, growing black middle class. And if you've gone around Denton, you'll know that there's no neighborhood called Quakertown anymore. Uh, there's a park called Quakertown. Because this city, back in the early 1900s, uh, felt that this neighborhood of Quakertown, which stood between TWU University, the old campus in the downtown, the fact that the girls of TWU, female students, had to walk past this neighborhood to get to the downtown businesses was unsafe. 
And so Denton voted um, to do something with that neighborhood, to take the property of the Quakertown homeowners and business owners and relocate the community to Solomon Hill and some places into this flood-prone bottomland where oftentimes the city's sewage flowed in open ways. In the process, out of fear, out of prejudice, out of racism, uh, destroyed the community, left a tear in the fabric of our city, left a tear in our geography that in many ways remains to this day. Um, but in the same years that that deep tear was happening in our history, there was someone, there were many people, but one that we're talking about today who stepped into that breach. This was a young man at the time named Frederick Douglass Moore, who was raised by a single mom. His mom was a child of slaves who'd never been to school herself. And later, the father that married his mom, his stepfather, was the first janitor of UNT. His parents loved Fred and poured into him dignity and worth. They helped him take his branch and plant it securely in the true vine of the God of love and the God of life. He was a bright kid who excelled in many, many, many things. He built a, a business here, a barber shop that catered to white men in town. And with that, he put himself through school uh, at Prairie View first and then Columbia University in New York for his master's work. But his life was headed up. Fred made a choice. He passed up opportunity for himself in order to lend himself, to come back to Denton and lend himself to this city and let his life be interwoven, especially in this place where the fabric was torn. He heard the lament of his community, he listens to their needs, and he lent himself. He was invited to become principal at the new school for African-American students in 1915, and he served as its principal for 40 years, his whole adult life given in service, in mentoring countless young men and young women right here in this city, made their education second to none, and he gave them, when Quakertown had been taken away, a chance to be homeowners again, to be business owners again, to flourish in themselves by understanding their dignity, their sacred worth, and having the tools of education and civic responsibility to get there. In love, he chose to do justice. And for a community that could have been torn apart in those years, he helped us hold together by living in a way to lend himself to be interwoven. And the amazing thing about the fabric of our community is that despite the traumas of the past, is that Denton is a special place. And you can trace a direct line from his choice to work, to lend himself, and to do justice to the fact that Denton, the city where the fabric had been torn into by segregation, was the first large Texas city to choose to integrate its high school. And they did it before the Civil Rights Act told them that they had to do it. They chose to do it because it was the right thing, because it was the just thing to do. And the two schools that combined were Denton High and the Fred Moore High School. That high school where he served as principal for years that had chosen after he passed to name itself after him, recognizing that they stood 
because of him and because of so many who served. And it was those communities that were inspired by him that chose to turn the tables in this city and make something beautiful and full of life happen here, that we might take steps to be evermore a place that is truly for all people, truly for all nations, as Jesus would say. We still have so much work to do here in this city and here in this country, but it's in Fred Moore's legacy and in countless others who've done justice that we continue to do the work. In Denton, to this day, there's a day school in his name. There's a high school in his name. There's a park in his name. Maybe one day there will be a statue on the courthouse lawn with his name on it as well. Not because he's greater than anyone else, but because in love, he lamented, he listened, and he chose to lend himself for the sake of shalom, for the sake of love. And he chose to do it in a way that reflected the heart of our God. So the Denton History Pages published uh, this code of ethics that he used to teach his students. Um, And I think it's a great guide for us as we seek to be people who do justice in a loving, lasting, shalom-building kind of way. So maybe as we've talked today, you've been thinking, you've been stirred by something that your heart is breaking for, wanting to do something about it. And I think we can do well by listening to Fred Moore's words about how to go about being people of justice in God's kind of way. Here's what he taught his students that helped make this city and make them who they were built to be. He said, exercise self-control. Control your thoughts, your tongues, your temper, and your actions. Be thrifty. Always good advice. Never ridicule or defile the character of another. Keep your self-respect and help others to keep theirs. Kindness. Be kind in thoughts and never despise anyone. Be kind in speech. Never gossip or speak unkindly to others. Good health is important. Keep yourself clean in body and mind. Justice work is hard. We've got to take care of ourselves as we do this. Be self-reliant, but listen to the advice of wiser and older people. And I think he would say, find the wisdom in everyone and listen to it. Develop independence and wisdom of your own and act according to what seems right and fair. Never fear being laughed at for doing what is right and be brave. A coward does not make a good citizen. Always play fair, never cheat, and always treat your opponents with courtesy. Those are words to live by, aren't they? I think they're words straight from the vine, straight from the heart of God and the character of Christ. And so may we be people who have the courage to do justice, to be brave in the very same way. Let us lament for the things that break the heart of God. Listen to the wisdom of others and in ourselves as people of love and justice and shalom, lend ourselves to turn the tables and to be a part of weaving a stronger, more beautiful, more flourishing, shalom-like tapestry with our lives. That's the heart of God. That's the call in our lives. And that's the strength, the kind of love that we find when we're connected to the vine. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving, 
justice-doing God. We forget sometimes the power of what you call us to forgive us when our vision is too small. God, sometimes it's too small because we think we have to do it in our own strength. But thank you for this reminder that this isn't about our own abilities, but this is about you, your work in the world. And so thank you for the invitation to be a part. God, you tell us that we are of sacred worth and we find it so much in this that you have invited us to be a part of your mission of love in the world. And so this week, as we go to our schools, our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. God, let our hearts break for the things that break your heart. Let us lament. Also give us the opportunity to listen, to learn to our neighbors. Give us a chance to lend ourselves. But above all, let us do it in, through, with, by, love that is greater than anything, that casts out fear, that rolls away stones, your love that wins. We pray all of this 